0: From Sacramento, the Bishop's Radio Hour with Bob Dunning on Relevant Radio, focusing on today's issues in the context of gospel values. Now, here's Bob.
1: It's me. Welcome to you on this beautiful day the Lord has made. Appreciate you all being with us on the Bishop's Hour as we launch our 24th year on the air and appreciate you all being with us, everybody that's helped us along the way, especially you, the listeners, but also our guests, and we're pleased and honored today to have Rita Spillane I was looking right across the table from me, Rita.
2: Good morning, Bob.
1: Good morning. Rita, which hat are you wearing today? <laughs>
2: <laughs> our email exchange was, what do you want me to talk about this morning? Yes, so. you are a
1: busy woman. <laughs>
2: I am well. We agreed that I could talk this morning about uh, jail ministry and mm-hmm. prison ministry within right. the Diocese of Sacramento. Yes, and maybe parenthetically a little bit about the Exodus Project at right. well as well.
1: Very good. Distinguish between you know jail and prison and and the the, the difference obviously.
2: Sure. Um, for jail ministry, uh, volunteers would be going in to the jail, men and women who. Um, these qualified. are county jails,
1: for the most part.
2: They are. They yeah. would be county jails throughout the 103 parishes that the Diocese of Sacramento covers up to the Oregon border, and jails are typically places where people are being held on a temporary basis, mm-hmm. so they are uh, awaiting trial, or they uh, sometimes they are sentenced to do their time in a jail setting but typically that's going to be a a shorter period of time
1: although that's changed a little bit in the last couple of years
2: that's exactly right it really has so some people are spending if they're sentenced to one year or less they may at least here in sacramento they may spend that time either in the sacramento main jail or in the rio Mm cosumnes correctional center or as it's known r triple c right uh so that would be a jail minister's um task, if you will. Prison ministry is a little bit different. We have Folsom Prison right outside of Sacramento, and those ministers would be working with people who are have longer sentences, very long in some cases. And so the, uh, the ministers who are working in the Folsom setting or any of the other state prisons in our diocese, they would have long-term relationships with with inmates, right. and so you would be able to have programs, for example, um, <clears throat> or you would be able to do uh, the men at uh, in Folsom. In fact, uh, chose to specialize in a kind of a centering prayer technique mm-hmm. that they they the inmates chose to do that, and so the ministers who are are up in. Folsom, Ray Leonardini was there for many, many years. I, I know he's retiring right. soon. Michael Lynch mm-hmm. will also be, he's up there now working with the, the men who are in Folsom. And centering prayer is a big part of that. I know that uh, Deacon Sergio Diaz at mm-hmm. Sacred Heart Parish is one of the Folsom Prison ministers, and they have retreats. They have Kairos retreats up in Folsom. Oh, wow. So you're able to have programs like that in. Detention facilities where prisoners are there for a long time. But typically in jail ministries, like I'm downtown in Sacramento working with the women on the seventh floor, and I don't see people there uh, for long periods of right. time. Right. They're, they're awaiting trial or they're waiting to be bailed out. And so I have a, a continuing um, changeover of folks when I go down there week by week to work with them or uh, once a month Bishop Soto comes and celebrates Mass there. Mm-hmm. He was there yesterday. And so um, we don't always see the same women right. there. There's only about 100 women in the Sacramento County Main Jail out of about 1,000 who are incarcerated in the Main Jail. Wow. So 100, so 900 men, 100 women, approximately. What
1: percentage of the people that are in a jail are awaiting trial?
2: You know, I'm not sure what that is. The <clears throat> In my years as a retired deputy district attorney, uh, it was really much more of that waiting. You Mm. were there on a very temporary basis. You were waiting for your next hearing. You were waiting for bail. You were waiting for your trial. But I know that that has changed quite a bit. So I don't know the percentage of folks who are awaiting trial in there. I know that there are also federal prisoners who are held in Sacramento County Main Jail because the federal system has no jail here mm, right in. so right. essentially it's um it's kind of a moneymaker if you will sure. for the main jail because the federal government then pays to have their uh prisoners incarcerated
1: you know it's, it's interesting we, all, we always hear this uh innocent until proven guilty you know and and, and that's uh, that's in the legal system that's the way it is uh, you know we can make up our own mind if we think so you know people talking on the street can say boy they caught the guy or they you know whatever um but it's interesting to me it always has been that if you're being held prior to trial innocent people aren't you know it's it's a bit of a legal fiction you know and and I know you 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 may be or maybe you're you're ineligible for bail because of the of the offense and and the presumption the presumption of guilt uh obviously that's what's in there or, or for public safety or you have to make bail, which costs you money. That's true. You know, I mean, it's it's, and and you don't if if you're, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you're uh, later exonerated, you don't get your bail money back. That I'm aware of.
2: Um, you know, I don't know the bail system that well, but I I, I don't really know the answer to that question. I mean, bail is typically kind of a, a ten percent, yeah, yeah. or and, you put uh, up
1: your house or your grandma puts mm-hmm. up her house.
2: Right, uh, yeah, that, is, that, that does happen, that people do that. But that's only if you break your bail conditions or skip bail, yeah. then that comes into being, right? Well, the, the, where
1: you the, lose the everything. Thing. But, but right. even even short of that, it, it's going to, I mean, that's the only way the bail bondsman can stay in business is he gets to keep the, the 10%. <laughs>
2: yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that that's, question. That's,
1: that's very interesting.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, you do get credit for time served, right when you are sentenced yeah yeah.
1: if if you're yeah once you're found guilty then you 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 don't worry that the person was incarcerated ahead of time right but for someone that's found innocent uh it's that's tough stuff
2: it is tough stuff yeah Yeah. but
1: the the no system can be perfect because i I mean i think the, the the main reason you're to hold somebody prior to trial is is public safety
2: that is a lot a, or, or of it, the bail, of public the bail yeah. conditions, right? Your yeah. bail conditions, or you have uh, many times you would have received a bail or you're released on your own recognizance. Right. And then if you fail that, yeah. if you re-offend while you're pending trial on, on an offense, right. your ability to get some kind of break like that for any future crimes that you are accused of right. – uh, you're not going to get that right uh so uh there there are rules in effect of who can get bail and who cannot get exactly. bail and uh many times it is um of course it's based on the conduct of the person when they're released on bail and if you right. violate those conditions a judge will have no mercy for that yeah, and they will right. remand you right there right there
1: yeah yeah so now this the state itself has chaplains i mean like a salaried chaplain, correct, in, in the in the prison system.
2: Well they do in the jail system as well. In the well. jail system as well. They do. Mm-hmm. Sacramento County Main jail has a wonderful chaplain. Um the one who retired uh during COVID was Terry Tolliver. He retired to Texas. Wonderful chaplain, a paid chaplain. And the new chaplain now is uh Tony Bell and he um has a law enforcement background mm-hmm. and so he really comes at this with a real um uh, a real loving heart he has uh, also um, went to seminary and so he sees uh, many of these individuals from uh, a 360 degree uh, site from being in law enforcement but also his seminary and being a pastor so he's a wonderful addition to the C- sacramento county main jail we're really blessed to have him there but all the jail systems are going to have a paid chaplain mm-hmm. and also volunteer Volunteers. chaplains Volunteer chaplains really are very useful. So how does,
1: uh, how do we, you know, not the separation of church and state, but the mixing of church and state. How does that work in terms of who you, uh, who the state would hire as a chaplain uh, in terms of that person's uh, beliefs, denomination, whatever, um, especially if you're only hiring one?
2: Right. Yeah. I don't know uh, who who would win out on that if you had, you know, a Lutheran, a, 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 a Mormon, you know, a um, Islamic, um, you know, the different people who are going to apply Sounds for those like this jobs. A joke. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Right. They walk into a bar. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know how that hiring process goes, but um, it's it's legally mandated in California anywhere mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Inmates have the access right. to their practice, their faith while they're incarcerated, and that includes dietary restrictions. Right. So the jail, I know, um, makes accommodations for people who cannot eat certain things, especially during Ramadan, for example, right. or during Lent, right. uh, so that there are accommodations made for individuals, and that's guaranteed in California by um, I don't think it's in the constitution, but it's certainly legally mandated. Mm-hmm. So probably legislatively mandated.
1: So a person could at least attend weekly mass, presumably. No. Well, not not necessarily.
2: No, <clears throat> I know that. Um, uh, I don't believe that that is uh, mandated because in the in the say, I've been a jail chaplain at main jail now for maybe six or seven years and Mm -hmm. certainly that is not the case in sacramento county main jail so i wouldn't expect that that would be um something that uh the prisoners uh have a right to so they have access (coughs)
1: to what in terms of their faith
2: uh materials absolutely they have materials for sure and if there are volunteer jail chaplains who can speak to them and meet with them, then they have the right to meet with those individuals. And so the jail can make accommodations to make that possible. So for Catholics especially who want to go to confession, for example, Mm -hmm. then uh, the paid chaplain, so Tony Bell, would contact me and—or there's another um, Catholic chaplain there, Mike Nepshield, and we would make sure that a priest was contacted who could go down and hear the confession— so uh, a jail would make accommodations mm. to make that possible.
1: A- a Eucharist. <clears throat>
2: so Eucharist, uh, and I know down in um, Solano County that the the jail chaplain's there. They do have a Eucharistic service every Sunday, Sunday morning, <clears throat> and um, so I know that that's available to Catholics. And if they send a kite. So a kite is a triplicate form to the jail requesting literature, requesting a visit, that kind of thing. And if they requested uh, receiving Eucharist, then Mm -hmm. they they would be able to do that, and the jail chaplain could bring it in, and then we could have a Eucharistic service there. Mm -hmm. But like I was saying earlier, once a month, Bishop Soto comes down and celebrates Mass uh, with the women on 7 West. So those women are able to attend Mass in my experience, there uh, there aren't a whole lot of practicing Catholics who are um, at least on Seven West. Uh, mm-hmm. They would be uh, very culturally Catholic. They might have been raised as children, right. or by grandparents who took them to Mass. Um, but uh, actually, numerically few. But the wonderful thing, though, is that the women are anxious to come to any kind of prayer service. Mm-hmm so I never have problems filling the room, as it were, with women who are happy to be there. And, of course, Bishop Soto and I try to be as welcoming as possible. You do not have to be Catholic. Just like here in the real world, you do not have to be Catholic to go to Mass. Right. And to be, you know, with other worshiping and believing people and in the presence of God at Mass. And um, so uh, we're— we have people who are very happy to be there at mass in the jail
1: and obviously i mean be beyond the fact that they they should have a constitutional right to their faith um it's good for society i i mean i know there are a lot of people out there who don't believe in anything anymore <laughs> but but um somebody who is able to practice their faith or maybe gets faith while in prison uh, Ninety-nine percent of the people in prison and virtually everybody in jail is one day going to be walking among us. Um, makes a lot of sense if if they've come to a, a belief in in God or Jesus Christ. Um, God, Jesus Christ is God, but <laughs> um, that that's that's going to be a good thing for society.
2: I, I couldn't agree more. And what it does is it creates a space, a safe space in jail where people are free to talk about their faith or mm-hmm. their fears, but their fears in a context of faith. I believe there is a God, a merciful, all-loving God. And the jail ministers carry that message that we are all able to be forgiven and able to forgive, right. You know that we are all lovable people. And I love that word lovable of Father Miles O'Brien Riley in San Francisco he used to use that in his sermons when I was in high school just a few years ago at St. Paul's <laughs> Parish <clears throat> and he would break down that word lovable and he would say that you are love able hmm. you are able to both give love to others and you're able to receive love from hmm. others and to remind ourselves, and to remind the the women with whom I get to visit uh, each week, that we are all lovable, and we we are not defined by the worst thing that we ever did in our lives. And for these women, it's very difficult to deal with the the pain and the shame of being. A mom, a grandmother in jail, and to face that with your family and to try to explain that and to try to win their love again—it's—it's uh, it's really a burden. It's a very difficult place for people to be, and of course, you know, many of the people in jail have done incredibly horrific acts, and we try to. Um, We try to restore that dignity that—remind all of us to restore that dignity that we we have because we are beloved sons and daughters of God. Mm -hmm. We are created beings who are—God created us. So, you know, that is our identity as as children of God. And yes, we do terrible things. We make terrible choices. But God's forgiveness and loving arms are always available to us for us to— to run to, to seek solace.
1: You know, and, and sometimes you know, I don't know. People go off the rails for whatever reason. Some people don't fit well in the way society is. I've always said, I'm I'm. I feel lucky that my vices are all legal. <laughs> you know, like I mean, it could be in a different society, and that doesn't that doesn't work. You know, watching football on Saturday, we're going to put you in jail. You know, and you're like, oh wow. You know this doesn't. You know, and and I think some people it just is almost impossible for them to function in society, given the society what society expects. I mean, you you see that sometimes in first grade, the the, the kid that just doesn't fit in that environment,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and basically ends up getting punished, and and, and it, it just starts this whole cascade.
2: Mm-hmm. I think we're we're better. We've gotten better. Certainly, I think in the last, say, forty years, uh, certainly in education of recognizing children's needs in school and trying to help kids as soon as we can identify some of those, yeah. you know, learning, learning differently. Uh, I w- I was talking to a friend of mine just recently, and her uncle, uh, who was born in, uh, I think it was 1946. Um, had a high fever, and lost his um, hearing. So he Mm -hmm. was completely deaf from about the age of two. Wow! And he had to be, at that time, they lived back east, and at that time, the recommendation was that they be put into a school for deaf children. And this school, which was highly recommended in New Jersey, uh, forbade the children and the staff from using sign language. Oh, wow. And so it was lip reading and so and so that that was a a huge catastrophe for that child sure. now an adult of course and that family to not have that uh ability to communicate with mm-hmm. their their mm-hmm. sibling their son and i think perhaps we've gotten a little better in the last my gosh you know 70 years say with learning differences mm-hmm. and accommodating people who do who don't fit into that traditional sit in a desk, in a classroom, and I, I think we have gotten better at that kind of thing, but um, but you know many of the people in jail have have really chosen some really dark paths, and um, and but uh, as far as um, our response to that, you know we don't we don't completely dismiss the person. We must always see them through the lens of Christ, right? Uh, you know, what was the gospel reading today? Uh, you know, it's, and yesterday, Jesus tells his apostles to go out. They're sent, right? They're sent to, well, yesterday was a little interesting in that it, they were really trying to be sent to um, the Jews. But then in later gospels, we're sent to the world, mm-hmm. right? So we're to preach the world to the world. And, um, I think we take people as they are. We take in all the, in all the gospel stories, the people who are uh possessed by demons, who live in graveyards, the people who uh, have disabilities, physical disabilities, but also mental disabilities. I mean, we're told to embrace them all. Exactly. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, he's sending them just like he's sending us. And in in today's gospel, I, I always have to kind of laugh a little bit when he's saying to the apostles, he's saying, um, do not take gold or silver or copper for your belt, no sack for the journey, or a second tunic or sandals or a walking stick or a cell phone or credit cards. <laughs> or, I, I just kind of fill it in in my 2023. and you know, But the point is, God has given you everything you need to respond to the needs of your brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. You know, that compassion that you should be nourishing with the Word of God, nourishing with the Eucharist every day of our lives. God has given us everything we need to do that. We don't need special things. We mm-hmm. need to slow down and listen to people. We need to make eye contact with people on the street who might we might find scary. Yep. We need to get out of our own little cocoons and deal with people who— have different backgrounds than we do. And what Jesus is saying in this gospel, you know, this chapter 10 in Matthew, he's saying, you have it all. You have everything you need. So go out and spread the word of God, spread by who you are, what you say, what you do, what you don't say, what you don't do. I mean, that wonderful, you know, the prayer, right, as the beginning of Mass where we're saying the confitier, you know, what I have done and what I have failed Failed to to do." do. And it's the failure to do some of the things that really trip us up, right? The failure to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong.
1: Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, growing up and, and uh, going to confession as part of our catechism, you know, we went to catechism class on Saturday mornings because we, we only had a public school in town, and, and confession was part of that when you were a little kid, you know, and it's like you spent all this time concentrating on the things you did wrong, you didn't go into confession and say hey i helped somebody across the street or or <laughs> i did this or i did that it was all uh, you know the reverse it, it, it was is almost like you, 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 we feel we we need a maybe a positive confession you know mm-hmm. where where we can uh, be encouraged i mean it depends on who who was hearing your confession i mean i i was very lucky that uh, we did get encouraged we did get encouraged to go to go but um
2: and maybe that's where we start our day yeah we kind of start at the end of our day you know the ignatian spirituality asks us to go through our day and to find out what do what went well today you know the examine like what went well and to kind of dwell on that and to think i should do that more often Mm -hmm. i should i should learn to stop talking and listen more and in this situation, that was wonderful that that happened. So d- dwelling on that. But this, this idea of a positive confession, I was thinking in the morning, one of the great gifts of being retired is you have the opportunity to go to daily mass mm-hmm. if you are in a parish that has daily mass. And to adopt that attitude of gratitude right out of the shoots in the morning, if you are able to go to mass and to thank God for that new day, to thank God for all the folks in the pews around you, thank God for the ability to get to church, yeah. uh, to hear, to listen, your your senses, and just um, defining your day right out of the right out of bed on. Thank you, God, for another day to serve you, to to be your hands and feet, on this on this place where you have put me. You know, Sacramento, California. Yep. Um, you know
1: bloom where you're planted (coughs) (coughs) my my dad used to he didn't use that exact phrase but he would always say you know you this is where you are there's a reason you're here (laughs) you know um you don't have to be in new york city or whatever you know so restorative justice we hear about that a lot (laughs) how does Does that work for somebody? Are we talking about people that are already out of prison, or are we talking about people that are still in prison?
2: Well, a restorative justice model, um, there are many different models that the criminal justice system might use. I know in Sacramento County, out at Juvenile Hall, when I was uh, a young DA, there were emphasis on these restorative models where you would have a young offender if they wanted to participate and they, these are minors so mm-hmm. they're under 18 you'd have to get permission from parents and right. their lawyer and all but i mean they would be examples of the youth and if the victim wants to also participate something simple like graffiti you know or, Painting over the graffiti, going to back to the merchant who you deface the site of their store and you go back and you paint it out. You you fix that problem. You right. apologize to that person. You so that, that's a very simple simplistic in a sense right. example of what it can be like. But there are many examples of um, people who have offended and the victims of those offenses, those crimes, have reached out to them. You, you see very uh, stunning examples of that uh, in uh, driving under the influence cases, oh, mm. <clears throat> where, um, you know, the family of someone who has been severely injured or even killed uh, gets in touch with the offender, and the offender has the opportunity to try to heal, try to help those individuals see how much they regret the the agony and the sadness and the sorrow that they have caused that family. So restorative justice models need both victims and they need offenders mm-hmm. to kind of come to terms with right. that and to work that through. And and you do see, I mean, you can google that if you will, and there are many just incredibly moving stories mm-hmm. of um I wish I could remember the name there is the uh, A person who is now out of prison and uh, who shot and killed a young man, and that person and that the victim's mother now tour and talk about that. And uh, so, I mean, you have extraordinary examples of forgiveness and uh, the ability to get together and do life giving uh, through that through that real sorrow so restorative justice is certainly something that is uh something to aspire to um i'm just not uh i'm I'm not very involved in that at this point um as i was telling you before we began the exodus project is something that grew out of jail ministry and prison ministry here in sacramento county and the jail ministers said gosh you know we we go in and we visit folks and we are, are happy to work with them and pray with them. But when they get out, is they really do need help. Yeah. And how can we do that? And uh, wonderfully, uh, Bishop Soto helped to fund us the first couple of years that we were out of the gates. And then the St. Vincent de Paul mm-hmm. Society was huge. I mean, we're really under the umbrella of St. Vincent de Paul right, right. in their prison ministries. And that's something that I think the Diocese of Sacramento can really, Bishop Soto, can feel very proud of uh, that we have— Got up and running, and we have um, helping with people in a kind of a six month mentorship when they're out. Right. And it kind of begins about two months before someone is released. Right. Helping with housing and employment and all
1: of that. So, is there a model for this, or, or did, did we kind of come up with it on our own? And just you're just kind of hoping. These steps will work.
2: Th- there are a lot of these across the United States, mm-hmm. and especially in St. Vincent de Paul. St. Vincent, uh-huh. Vincent de Paul really supports this this outreach, this working with the poor, because a lot of times people who are incarcerated are, are Sure. Marginalized folks, yeah. economically and, and they marginalized, have a lot of the same
1: needs, uh, you know, housing, uh, employment, etc.
2: Exactly, transportation, getting, right. uh, you know, seeking medical attention for their right. long-term medical needs, and getting glasses, getting driver's licenses, getting identification, just finding a pharmacy that they can work with. Um, so there, it's really a, a bridge, is mm-hmm. what the mm-hmm. Exodus Project and. All of these projects across the United States and some are with other uh, faith denominations who really help this um, so it's it's wonderful uh, and you know the internet has made a lot of these things um, much more doable and you reach out to others I know that uh, Rabbi Seth Castleman who is the uh, executive director for Exodus Project is right now on a retreat and I know that he is in contact with many of his confrères, if you will, uh, figuring out. Okay, we had this problem. How did you handle this problem? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and just that wonderful relationship between organizations. So uh, I know that the Exodus Project just received a contract now in Solano County. Mm-hmm. So they're working in Sacramento County, but now we'll be working in Solano County. So Very there good. will be opportunities down there for hiring people for the Exodus Project to be in Solano County and helping Boy, individuals right. who I think are,
1: they're doing a little bit in YOLO too, maybe. Uh, could
2: be. Yeah. yeah, could be. And we're working... I know the Exodus Project is working hand-in-glove with the Public Defender's Office, mm-hmm. um, but also they're also working with uh, reaching out to the District Attorney's Office, to the new uh, elected DA, Tin Ho, and with the new sheriff, uh, Sheriff Jim Cooper. So I know that we're <clears throat> through the Exodus Project, but also through the office of the bishop, reaching out, trying to create bridges so that these people can successfully reintegrate into society, which is everyone's goal. Everyone wants that to happen. Uh, you know, if you're conservative or if you're liberal, wherever. We all want people to just, no, no one wants someone in jail. They want him to lead productive, right. good lives that build our society.
1: Well, and you look at, you know, it's hard enough to get a job that pays a living wage. And then uh, you add to that that you have a record. It's hard enough, I know, uh, with my kids in college trying to find a place to live. It's hard enough to get into an apartment uh, and if, if you've got that record, uh, you're going to be last on the list. Uh, and you understand why people do that. A landlord would do that. But without something like the Exodus Project, I, j- I just uh, – you, you're asking for trouble. I mean, you, you're, you're just putting these people out on the street and saying, go and be good now. Right. You know, and yeah. you don't have a job. You don't have a place to live. I just think the Exodus Project is just. just I have one of my one of my daughters who's in college is uh, um, very interested in becoming a part. i just telling her about the Exodus Project and, and uh, uh, very interested in becoming. I don't know if she might be a little bit too young yet, but um, uh, becoming a part of that.
2: Well, we have um, training sessions about three times a year. Right. I know one's coming up in August. Oh, good. Yeah, so you can go online and um, just. Google Exodus Project and it'll right. come up and it's under the St. Vincent de Paul. Yeah, they I think host it's like a, an eighteen-hour
1: training over a, a couple of weekends or something like that. That's yeah.
2: right. It's usually three or four days. Right. But eighteen hours, yeah. And <clears throat> and just um, yeah, just to give a, a hand up. You know, that's what we're trying to do, right? The Beatitudes, right? We're trying yep. to be those people who make that real, not just pretty words on a piece of paper, but to make it real.
1: I, I remember when. I used to have a a nighttime show on uh, KFBK every night from from nine to midnight, and and we'd have a few sponsors, and one of the sponsors was Larry's Comfort Shoes, and I I don't know if they're still in business or not, but um, and one day you know as part of I I would do live reads for that, and they said, well come on out to the store, we'll we'll show you what we do and everything, and at one point. He pulled me aside, and he said, I don't want this on the air or anything, but um, I make it a habit of hiring people who have been incarcerated. And I thought, wow. You know, wow. I mean, it was, and this was a long time ago. Right. You know, and it wasn't, uh, he wasn't getting credit for it or government subsidies or anything else. He was just doing it. Right. You know, and and I uh, always had a a, a real fondness for him and, and, and that for doing that, because it, that's tough stuff.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. God bless him.
1: Yeah. We'll read it. Um, we could talk all day. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: um, hopefully we can get you back.
2: Of course. Anytime. Uh, um, and thank you for having me on.
1: And uh, you you have so many hats that you're wearing that.
2: (laughs) I do, but at least when you sing with Scola Cantorum, like I've been here a few times with Jim McCormick. Right. And at least we have, well, we mostly have the summer off. But uh, Don Kendrick, the conductor, um, he asks us to come in and sing in octets or quartets during the summertime instead of with our, you know, 36 singers. But mostly we have the summer off, which is which is nice for the choir.
1: Has Golan been been able to travel at all?
2: We did. We went to Canada, actually, um, at the end of uh, June. We went to first we went to Seattle Uh and we sang at St. James Cathedral. We sang at their noon mass there. And then later we gave a concert at the Dominican Church in Seattle. and It is escaping me. Blessed Sacrament, perhaps? That sounds Um, right. Yeah. And you know where it was? uh, We all know um, Father Sweeney, our Dominican friend, who was in charge of the lay mission project here in the diocese. And he was a pastor at that parish. And I spoke with one of the women afterwards because I saw his name on a plaque, Father Michael Sweeney. And they said, oh, we love Father Michael Sweeney. We love Father Sweeney. So that was nice. And we made that connection. And then we took a bus up to Vancouver. And in Vancouver, we had another, we sang at an Anglican mass, actually, Mm -hmm. at the cathedral in downtown Vancouver. And then we gave a concert there as well. So we had a, a very nice uh, little not, not surprising
1: that that uh, Don Kennedy would take you to Canada. Uh,
2: yes, <laughs> yeah. no, yeah, Mister Canada, I right?
1: He's a uh, native of Calgary, I think.
2: Uh, yes, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, where there are horses and cowboys. And oh yeah, such that, that's things. Like,
1: that's like te- that's Canada's mm-hmm. version of Texas. That's right. And oil and yeah, yeah, yeah every, everything. Yeah, Yeah. very good. Well. Um, Blessings to you, too. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming in, and thanks for all you do. And I sure look forward to our paths crossing again soon.
2: Okay, sounds great, Bob. Thanks, thanks so Rita. much.
1: Uh, we'll take a quick break. We'll be back with more on the Bishop's Hour right after this. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Drop by and shop at the thrift store, a beautiful, beautiful thrift store at 2275 Watt Avenue. Open Mondays through Saturdays from 10 to 8, and Sundays from 11 to 6. And what a wonderful treasure Easter's Catholic Books and Gifts has been for all of us here in the diocese as they uh, uh, transition uh, into uh, uh, new ownership and management. Uh, They continue to offer wonderful workshops, wonderful uh, uh, resources for the Catholic community throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. 4600. And we uh, are, are certainly uh, appreciative of the uh, fine and uh, longstanding support of the Mercy Foundation, of Easter's Catholic Books and Gifts, and of Crumley and Associates.
0: Hi, this is Brian Visitation, Director of Media and Communications for the Diocese of Sacramento. You're listening to the Bishop's Hour with Bob
1: Dunning. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate that wonderful introduction and all the great work you do here at the Diocese of Sacramento. Well, we're pleased and honored to welcome in uh, Kathy Baxter from Saint, the great St. Mel Parish in Fair Oaks. Kathy, good day to you. Hello there, Bob. Good to have you on on with us. Uh, I was uh, reading uh, all about you in the Catholic Herald. Um, <laughs> you're you're now a star.
0: Oh, <laughs> Well, th- that's disputable. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, it's great, great to have you on. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us. Uh, you were talking in the Herald about adoration, and you know it's 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 interesting. One of my uh, one of my daughter's uh, uh, college student um, just fell in love with the Newman Center at UC Davis, and and then as a part of that fell in love with adoration you know wonderful oh, yeah and and came home and just saying you know just talking not that she didn't know about it but it wasn't a major part of her life i guess uh, in, yeah. in, in in the devotion itself and and now just just um basically can't live without it you know and it's just it's so beautiful to see especially somebody uh that young Um, embrace that
0: yes and that that is definitely one of the themes that Karen and I mostly wanted to convey you know in the article is that you know adoration really does change your life if you will allow it in it will change your life and our young people are desperately in need of a place like that of of tranquility time with the Lord they're just assaulted 24 7 by action and activity and and adoration is just it's
1: it's life sustaining it really is yeah you know it, it used to be you thought when you t- talked to your teenagers uh and they didn't respond even though they're sitting at the same table or on the same yeah. couch you thought they were ignoring you and being rude and now you realize it's cuz they've got headphones uh, earphone you know? <laughs> <laughs> earbuds or whatever they're calling them and they yeah. can't hear you you know they're they're well, listening 24/7 to, 24/7, 24/7. It's yeah. just, it's, yeah. uh, it's, uh, I, I've, I, I have that experience on airplanes where I, you know, you're sitting next to a stranger and you kind of lean over and say something and uh, um, <laughs> they ignore you and you think, oh, what? what? Yeah. They've all
0: got buds in. They've all got buds in. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: It's just, yeah. it's just amazing. I, I'm afraid the whole world is going to, going to not be able to, is going to have hearing loss in the next 30 years from having something so close to their ears all the time.
0: I think so, and you know, I think it's because—is it we're afraid to be alone? Are we afraid to be alone with our thoughts? Is wow. that what it is that we have to have something going on all the time? Because yeah. if we get if we get too close to our inner self, our our God-centered self, it'll scare us. I think.
1: Maybe so. I I don't know. It's 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 uh, it's it's a phenomenon that uh, who knows? You know, you look back fifty years from now, and people say. Well, we we notice this change, kind of like when people talk about global warming or any, any major change that has happened over history, that, you know, you, you kind of go back and say, this is where it started. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm wondering yeah. if we're going to, uh, being so plugged in is, uh, I mean, everything, everything's changing. I heard somebody say something like, we've never had access to so much information at the same time And, and as a result, nobody knows anything because we don't know anymore what's true and what isn't because
0: you, you, you,
1: you, you go on some of you go online and say, I I heard this about that, you know, and, and really eating apples causes this, you know, well, that's (laughs) what I read, you know, and it used to be, if you read something, you could kind of trust it. Now it's like, it's anybody's opinion.
0: A total assault 24-7.
1: And yet, yet adoration is the complete opposite of that.
0: It is the complete opposite of that. It's complete silence and one-on-one with the Lord. Absolutely. It's it's life-changing and it's life-sustaining.
1: You know, when, when I was growing up, which is a few decades ago, um, I I don't know if we didn't have adoration. <laughs> I wasn't going to a public school uh, to a Catholic school because, okay. and um, but I don't remember any talk about adoration.
0: Well, we had. Um, I'm probably a little older than you are, Bob, but we had um, what was called forty hours devotion, mm-hmm. and that usually that usually took place during Lent.
1: During Lent, Lent, right? Or,
0: yeah. But, you know, I did grow up going to a Catholic school, and we were very, you know, we were, we were, we were strong Catholics in my family. Uh, I don't, don't recall it at all myself either, other than the 40 hours devotion. Mm-hmm. I think this is definitely the, something that came out and become, became much stronger with the pontificate of, of John Paul II. Right. N- uh, not that it wasn't there before, but I think that was really, you know, a turning point for so many, so much of our faith was was the pontificate of John Paul II. Of course it was a, well, a 30 plus year, you know, pontificate. So a lot of changes took place. But I know uh, all of my adult life in the church has been with adoration.
1: Mhm. Well, you, you know, some people somebody asked you know you said how do you do adoration, you know? And uh, you you've put it so beautifully in the in the Herald article is you, <laughs> you you don't do it you just do you just are there. That's
0: all you have to do. All you have to do is sit, go down, go in the door, sit down, and just it'll happen. Um, I I know this story's been told a million times. Saint John Vianney uh, talking to a I believe he was a farmer. He would see him in the church every day, every day, and so one day he goes up to him and he asks him. What, what do you do? And he said, well, I look at him, and he looks at me. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I practice that sometimes in my, in my time in adoration, to just sit there and try and empty your mind of everything, but just looking at Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, and he's looking into your heart, and you just let go. And you don't have to think anything. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to do a litany of prayers. You just sit there. And, and and the calm will come over you and then and then, then that leads to other things I mean I can't tell you all the things that I've done over you know 30 plus years of being in adoration but and and I can honestly say there are times when you think that hour is never going to end, but most of the time it ends too quickly hmm.
1: yeah it, the emptying the mind that is a that's a tough one
0: yeah yeah it, very much
1: so. Yeah, I'm I'm praying the rosary and I'm thinking what, what was that yeah. missing ingredient from huckleberry pie?
0: That's uh, right, we do that, don't we? Yeah, and, and, it, and yet we know our prayers are efficacious. We know that because He knows our brokenness. He knows that. Yeah. So He knows we want to be present in our prayers, but that we're not always present in our prayers. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it it it, it is uh, the 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 you you think we'd be able to control our own minds we can control our actions pretty much you know yeah but controlling our minds is really difficult
0: well and especially because i mean i think more so now than at any other time because we are assaulted 24/7 by sound and yep. and 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 print i mean there's 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 never a time when you can that, that you turn everything off there's just not it's just around us all the time.
1: Yeah, and, and, so that's,
0: and, and, what, that, and that, that's why adoration is. I wish there was a way to convey to people how much your life would become so much more filled with peace if you would just one hour. Because you know that's that's what Jesus said to the disciples in in the Garden of Gethsemane. Could you not watch with me one hour? One hour. One hour, and and it does. Well, like I said, I'll say it again. To me, it's life sustaining. It just makes my life so much better.
1: So, when when did you first discover adoration, other than the, the, the forty hours devotion when you were a kid?
0: Uh, okay, um, coming. Well, I I like many people, or sadly, I will say, like many people. Walked away from my faith probably in my early 20s. I don't remember exactly when it happened, but it just kind of happened. And um, then I had a tragic uh, event with my mother in law who, who passed away in my arms after an accident. And I it made me realize, oh my gosh, all the things I held on to as a child and as a young adult, I didn't know how to deal with, with praying for her as she was dying and all that. So I went back to church i, I went to mass one sunday with one of my sisters and when i walked in the church and it was kind of cool i thought well that's good i'm back this is great and then the consecration took place and mm-hmm. during the consecration i was overwhelmed by wow. the most and i started crying and i bob i started going to daily mass within 10 days of that first mass oh my and i gosh. looked after that so my parish was St. Mel, and it was on the feast of Our Lady of Lourdes, 1988, hmm. they um, started an adoration chapel at the church. So it was a year later for me, and um, I just I saw the chapel or the little, little adoration um, room there at the church. And I just walked in there one day and sat down, and I, I remember looking at the Eucharist and thinking I could see Jesus' face hmm. in the Eucharist. And, you know, it it's the mind, whatever, but it was just like he was calling me, said, I need you to do this. And that was it. Uh, from then on, I had an hour every week, and I've had an hour every week. Now that I'm a coordinator for the chapel, I don't actually have a specific hour anymore because I... Do a lot of substituting for people, Mm -hmm. so I don't have a specific hour. But I always have at least an hour, maybe up to five hours a week. But that's for me, and I'm you know I'm 73 years old. I have time to do that. Not everybody does, but that was my that was my experience uh, with the Adoration Chapel. And over the years, I've seen this with many, many, many people. All it takes, honestly, is there's that commitment to go in there one time. And then the commitment to go in one more time, and one more time pretty soon, you just can't do without it. it, it you just can't. I mean, our people at St. Mel's, um, you know, we were not able to return to 24-7 adoration at this point. Like many of the churches after COVID, we were, um, we've been decimated a little bit by participation. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, I think that's kind of a standard now. I hope not everywhere, but it seems to be that way at St. Mel. So we're we're open from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day, mm-hmm. and I have the most fantastic group of substitutes that, I mean, I've got people, I've got one gal that I asked her, um, I think it was about six months ago, we were having um, uh, some kind of a uh, vocations fair or something at St. Mel. And she came over and was talking to me. I was doing the Adoration Chapel promotion. And she came over and talked to me. And she hadn't been in the chapel yet. And I talked to her about it. And she said, well, I think, I think I'll sign up for an hour. And she did. And I will tell you, I think at this point in time, she's there every day for an hour. Wow. Every day for an hour. Because it just does that for you. Like your like your daughter.
1: Yeah, it, I mean, it, it's, it's...
0: It heals you. Yeah.
1: Yeah, she, she was... Uh, <laughs> She was so taken by it and and I, I think the the beauty of it, the simplicity of it, um, yeah. so profound simplicity i <laughs> simplicity is a positive word in my mind uh, and it it's i I would love to figure out a way to get more young people involved in adoration
0: that but, is definitely a goal of mine uh, and i, I Boy, if we could come up with a way to do it, it would be fantastic. And we do have a lot of young people that come to the chapel. We really do. But there's the need in our youth is so great, and and I think it's something that should start when they're when they're uh, confirmed. And at at our church, excuse me, at our school. We've got a wonderful gal that's in charge of the religious education in the in the school, and she brings the kids in regularly mm-hmm. into the chapel. Not for long periods of time, 10 minutes, because for kids, that might be all they can handle, you know, the younger ones. But, but after confirmation, I think it's something everybody should try to do. And I would start with saying, go to adoration once a month. Make it a family thing mm-hmm. once a month. Once a month, we're going to go in... And we're going to do an hour, whenever it's convenient. And I think I think you'd see within your families even that it would be a healing. What has it has to be? You can't spend time in front of our Lord and have it not change you and move you. You can't.
1: I really like what you said. Uh, the, uh, I I look at him and he looks at me. Yes,
0: and when when I sit on occasion and do that because I do a lot of my. Uh, Saint reading and that sort of thing in the chapel. But when I go in sometimes and I'm not going to do anything, I'm just going to sit here. I just, I need to just sit here. Such an overwhelming realization that you are having a one on one personal moment with God, Uh, with the the Creator. It's
1: like, wow.
0: Yeah, a one on one, you know? I mean, you don't even get to do that ever with a president or a king or anyone
1: else. No, no. I mean, this, you you know you can, <laughs> you, yes. you look at the uh, the intersection of Watt and Fair Oaks, <laughs> and, <laughs> and then you can just leave that all behind and go talk to God. Yes. Where do you want to be? You want to be in that intersection, exactly. <laughs> waiting for a green arrow, or <laughs> or, <laughs> or do you want That's to be right. talking to God? Yeah, and and
0: you know the Mass is obviously the Eucharist is and summit of our faith. Sure. The Mass is critical. Without the Mass, we don't have the Eucharist. The Mass is, is very, very important. However, you, adoration intensifies and strengthens that understanding and that love mm-hmm. of, of the Mass. It really does. And we need that because our, our participation in the Mass and our understanding of the, of the glory of the Mass has been eh, a little bit... Um, dampened down over the years, I guess. Maybe that's the way to say it. But adoration strengthens our faith, and it's personal. It's one on one.
1: Yeah, I think that personal is so important because we we can, whether it's Catholics or anybody else, get into. Well, I, I go to mass and 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 I follow the leader kind of thing, you know, and yeah. and yeah. we. we Stand. <laughs> we stand when we're supposed to, and we kneel when we're supposed to, and we respond to what the priest says, and and we do all this. And it's not it not necessarily one on one personal, and this is this is just you and God.
0: Yes, yes, it is it, absolutely, absolutely. Um, we have a we have a. a an ongoing, growing situation—the church, which I'm sure you know about better than myself, even—and that is, so many Catholics don't really, truly believe that right. it is Jesus Christ. Right. We know that the statistics are out there. It's clear. Um, we have to. We have to fight that by education and by love, and by introducing people to the one-on-one experience of time of Christ. That's we, we have to. Do whatever's necessary. And I don't think it's by increasing, you know, social activities at the parish and all that sort of thing, which are wonderful. Don't get me wrong. I, I think it's, a, it, it's part of maybe what might have been missing over the years in the Catholic Church is, is you know, a really strong um, social activity. Mm-hmm. But honestly, we have to educate, and it has to come from the pulpit. It has to come from a priest. We have to educate all our lovely, loving friends and family that are our parishioners, our fellow parishioners. We have to help people to understand Jesus Christ is here for us in a way unlike anything else in the world in the Eucharist, and he wants us to worship him.
1: Very, very—
0: That's all he asks. That's that, all he wants.
1: That is so well put. Kathy, thanks, thanks so much for— Uh, agreeing to be in the Herald, thanks so much for agreeing to be on the program today. You've inspired me and I hopefully have inspired our listeners. And uh, I'm going to go home and uh, carry this message to my family as well. So thanks so much. God bless you and everybody there at St. Mel's. And I hope our paths cross again soon.
0: Okay, Bob, thank you very much for giving me an opportunity to talk about the most important thing in my life.
1: Oh, thanks so much, Kathy. God bless. Okay. Yeah, that's, you. Th- thank you. That's uh, Kathy Baxter from St. Mel's Parish. And you can read all about it uh, in the uh, in the current issue of the uh, Catholic Herald. She and uh, Karen Fitz there from uh, also featured uh, from St. Mel's. That's going to do it for us for today. Thanks for listening, everyone. God bless.